0: Stoners, it's me, Jara, of course, (laughs) here to say happy solar eclipse. It is a new moon. It is in Sagittarius and it is time for change, right? For new beginnings, for the release of old karmic cycles and patterns. And this episode couldn't come at a more opportune time as this episode is about domestic violence and recognizing sort of those patterns that we can fall into for toxic and unhealthy relationships. So this is a broader trigger warning for the episode. It does feature um, themes within domestic violence and different facets of it. So we do talk about um, a variety of things that may be triggering to some. So if you are perhaps worried about being triggered or you know just want to mentally prepare yourself and your space and your energy please do so i will try to feature some time stamps for when certain things are mentioned but yeah so i just want to send my love and my light to you all and i hope you enjoy this episode hello and welcome to the brownstone with Jara monique i'm your host Jara, and this is the show where we explore how people experience and engage with different aspects of life from their varied perspectives all while sharing some laughs, some gags, and some advice. On today's episode, we're talking about domestic violence. And joining me today will be Stephanie, and she's the Director of Youth Programs at the Healing Center here in New York City. (laughs) Hey, Stephanie, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. (laughs) Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be on. Yeah, how are you? What's going on?
1: Uh, everything is good. Super busy, you know, trying to figure out every life during COVID and, you know, life in a professional sense during COVID and dealing with, unfortunately, the, um, the struggles to try to get people's services when literally nothing is open.
0: Yeah, my goodness. I think that's probably like A part of all of this that some of us may take for granted especially doing the day-to-day thing if you have kids and you're just trying to manage online school or your job or unemployment or whatever and then you kind of like fail to notice like how bad it is for some you know for other people and whatever their situations might be and so I mean I'm grateful that you've you know still been able to work and find a way to kind of you know get Your services to people during this time? (laughs) I guess
1: it's kind of trying to find like a silver lining and it's having us rethink and reimagine the work um, if in case a client isn't able to come out. um, Let's say even after COVID. So that was something that would happen before. So it's just having us reimagine kind of how do we continue to keep our community safe, even from a distance if we have to?
0: Yeah, wow, that's great. And I think that's like, what I wish, you know, in a broader sense, our government was doing was like reimagining the ways in which they could help us and be of service to us. So um, yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's great to see like grassroots organizations are actually doing that, you know, and that it can work. Yeah, yeah.
1: and there's definitely so many different aspects and systems of society that need to be reimagined. If there's one thing, I guess these past, I want to say it's six months. It feels like it's been a year or two. I have no idea (laughs) technically, Um, but it's something there's these since everything has been shut down and people have no choice but to kind of see what's going on um it's reimagining all the systems right it's when reimagining you know the gender based violence industry um nonprofit work it is really not just ima- reimagining that it's reimagining the criminal justice system it's reimagining um how racism is a part and entrenched in every single system of society racism homophobia xenophobia like that still all affects our work so we can try to say okay yeah we'll do these virtual, you know, uh, sessions. Um, but that still really doesn't deal with the key issues, um, that our clients are dealing with on a daily basis. Everything from fu- food insecurity to, um, not being able to work, to being scared to contact the police, whether because of at the end of the day, they don't want their abusers to be shot or killed and everything that's going on, Um, with the criminal justice system and with the police department and all these, you know, speaking about defund the police and what that actually means. um, There's a reason why these conversations are happening. And no one, regardless of color or immigration status or sexual orientation, should be afraid to call the police when they're in danger. Like that's supposed to be the main job of the police department is, you know, to protect and serve. And when people aren't being served because they're scared for their safety or the safety or somebody that they care about, that's not okay. And that makes my job a hundred times harder.
0: Yeah. Wow. My goodness. Um, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I think you made uh, so many wonderful, like, valid points. And I think that's why, I mean, especially now, like, a lot of us are being, I don't know, I mean, people have been doing this work for a really long time. And you were one of those people. But I think on a broader scale, we see like more people getting involved and getting, you know, moved and invigorated to participate in this because we see that, you know, everyone's saying, well, let's reform, reform, reform. And we're like, you can't reform something that's, you know, been broken or was never meant to serve the majority of us, you know, Mm -hmm. to begin with. And so (laughs) how does that work?
1: Yeah. And that's something that people forget. Like, you can't, me personally you can't reform something that was made to be racist right so the police department the made it came comes from two parts the first part is um people who would go and bring back slaves to um, runaway slaves Mm -hmm. to plantation owners so the slave catchers and then you had in the north where it was a little bit more okay we're going to protect the people but if you look at the history of the police department it was very anti-union they used to break up unions anti-feminism extremely racist there's a long history of that so to reimagine what the police department would look like, I don't think it's some asking for too much. We're not saying that everybody, every police officer is bad. I couldn't do my job without the police department. And I know that there are good officers out there. However, when you work within a system meant to keep people oppressed, there's only so much you can do. And unfortunately, instead of changing the system, it's the system who eventually changes you.
0: Yes. Wow. Yeah, that is so true. And I think like, and we'll get into this more as we get into the episode um but it's in a way you become complicit because whether your intentions were pure or not you're still operating within that system that's meant to suppress or oppress or has these you know racist origins and that's still you know prevalent within the system so you do become complicit and you and you know there are cases we've seen of you know quote unquote good cops or whatever stepping forward and being reprimanded you know, for doing that. So it, it's not an environment that encourages any sort of um dissent. And mm-hmm. but it's it's a way too like you think about a broader scale too is like we're all complicit in some way, shape or form in this system that we still have mm-hmm. because we've been forced to operate and survive within it. So you know reimagining takes all of us in a way, you know. So <laughs> we'll get there. We're getting there, I think. <laughs>
1: Um, I mean, with anything, there's always going to be a lot of pushback and there's some amazing organizations um, that I even partner with, like Girls for Gender Equity, who is not just reimagining the police department, but reimagining like how the education system works and doing more restorative justice practices and really getting the police out of schools. Like the police, schools are a place of education. Like schools are a place, we need more social workers and guidance counselors, not police officers. And to make people or young people, especially teenagers, feel like they're going to jail. Some of these older schools, when you walk in them, there is no difference. They look look exactly the same as if you walk into a precinct, um, which is pretty depressing. Like you shouldn't be training Children at the end of the day to walk into prison to mm-hmm. have to walk through, you know, why is there so much violence in the community? Why aren't you hitting that instead of okay, let's just police young people? Um, so having more restorative justice, healing-centered practices within um the DOE and trying to use this as a way, okay, so. We have to reimagine the education system because COVID and there's, for example, my daughter, I just got an email that someone in my daughter's school might have been COVID positive. Um, so now we have to wait to see if they if they did get COVID and then what classes are they? Co- so we have to reimagine the education system already cause this blended learning and distance learning isn't working. So how do we reimagine this? How do we not let young people fall between the cracks? Um, especially young people who are either, you know, helping their siblings who are younger than them because their parents don't speak any English or their parents are working all these jobs to try to like make ends meet or children who are dealing with violence in the household. Like these, a lot of these children are also taking care of, like I said, their siblings. So they're trying to protect their siblings. And there isn't that... um, where at least before in schools, there was a little bit of that layer of protection. So you see a child all bruised up, obviously, you know, something is going on in the house. That layer of protection has been stripped away. So how do we not let these children fall through the cracks? So it's what we're doing, like status quo when doing what we're doing isn't working. Like you have to reinvent the wheel at this point. And there are great educators, radical educators in New York City who are part of the DOE who really want to reimagine what this looks like and making sure that everybody gets an equal education, not just people on the Upper East Side who can do these little pods and keep their kids safe. And you know. <laughs> so how do we do that? How do we bring that same um, energy and, you know, uh, creativity and innovation to, you know, underserved communities?
0: Yeah. And I think, um, Wow. I think here with the, you know, with the Brownstone and the podcast in particular, like, I mean, I don't, I don't have, you know, solutions. I don't know that there are any easy solutions, but And, you know, I believe so many people in so many ways are thinking about all these things right now. Like, how can we, like you said, reimagine, you know, our justice system, our education system, like our health system, our mental health systems, like all these things. Um, And here, like, I just want to bring like awareness, right, like to all these different aspects that are all these intersectionalities that are constantly at play for so many of us, honestly, for all of us in different ways. And like, I think we sometimes just forget we get caught up in just like the day to day survival stuff and we lose track of like. You know this this is all done you know purposely this is all you know it's all interconnected we don't get one without the other You like you said you can't talk about education and not talk about our justice system like you can't talk about that and not talk about like um housing and mm-hmm. neighborhoods and things like that it is all connected y'all like <laughs> it, it is it's literally
1: like if that's why everything is a domino effect and that's why you have these and i'm not a conspiracy theory. When I'm saying powers that be, I mean systems and people who have put these systems in place, um, to be able to control and stay in power. You know, we do live in a, you know, Judeo-Christian patriarchal society, like that is white. And that is happens to be Caucasian or white. You know, that is the way that the systems were built. And they, with Everybody kind of awakening themselves and having these conversations. It really is going to be a domino effect. So that's why there's always so much pushback when we make some strive, whether it be racial justice or you know um, uh, LGBTQ rights or women's rights. Like every time we make some type of stride, there's always a pushback, because once you start picking apart those dominoes, the whole system will collapse within itself. And, you know, if you, if the justice system is set up to get quotas and numbers, even though technically it is illegal to, but there was a a court case of, I think it was 12 officers or eight officers who sued NYPD, and I want to say 2017, because even though quotas were supposed to be, you know, illegal and not done, they were still pushing quotas, and they were still pushing quotas in, you know, Black and brown communities. So um, if the police department doesn't have its quotas, how is it making its money? You know what I'm saying? So literally, if you start taking these dominoes out, the system will collapse within itself, and that's what they're scared of. And then it really is, how do we make a system that works for everybody and not just for a select few?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that should be the overall goal. I think we're all, you know, hopefully pushing that going forward and especially with this election year going on. And man, like like I said, the work that you're doing in that your specific, you know, sector, I guess sector would be like the right way. I was going to yeah. say yeah. genre for some reason, but that's not correct. Uh, that's sector is a good word. Yeah. <laughs> especially, you know, uh, pertaining to domestic violence and stuff, I think it's, it's super, super important because, Um, like we both mentioned, it's, it's intersectional and it, and the cause of it is always a culmination, I believe, of so many different factors. And so if we can start analyzing and breaking down these things, maybe we can change things for so many of us, you know, going forward. Um, and yeah, and that was like a long intro y'all, but it was good. So I think everyone, (laughs) I I hope y'all enjoyed that. (laughs) <laughs> um, we're going to get into the first segment of yeah. the show, <laughs> uh, called what's the Meaning," And this is where we take a word, uh, that's related to today's topic or one just floating around in the zeitgeist. And we discuss what it means in relation to ourselves. And I do want to give just like a brief trigger warning. Um, like I mentioned, Stephanie works within the sector of domestic violence and she's a director of youth programs at the healing center. And so we will be discussing Uh, components of domestic violence. We're going to be discussing different terminology. Um, I don't believe we'll go into any, you know, gruesome, whatever examples, but this might be triggering um, for some of us who have dealt with these things or know someone that's dealt with these things. So of course, protect your space, protect your energy. Um, And yeah, and hopefully, you know, there's, there's support to be gained here from this, you know, conversation. Um, And so today's word is going to be gaslighting. So (laughs) you know, I'm going to say you're the expert. This is your field. I know I have my own kind of um, interpretation of it, which I don't know is even correct. So I'm going to ask you, you know, what is gaslighting?
1: So to make a very long definition, just short, and something that can kind of stay with anybody, it's when somebody makes somebody feel like they're going crazy. Mm. So that's like the simple form of it. But gaslighting is a form of psych, psychological manipulation in which a person or a group um, tries to sow doubt and target a, you know, a specific individual or group because gaslighting can be done from one group to another group. uh, But we think of it in the form of domestic violence from one person to another person in an intimate partner relationship. Uh, Usually, the whole point of this is to, you know, Cause really cognitive dissonance. So you can't trust yourself. I can't trust my brain. I don't, I didn't see what I saw. I don't feel what I feel or me feeling like something is in, isn't right or something is wrong. It's all in my head because this person has really destabilized my own belief in my own self. So trusting my own instinct. Um, usually um, abuser will deny, let's say I was in a relationship and my partner's phone decided that it was going to ring. And I'm seeing that they're receiving pictures from, uh, you know, some female who or some person and it's like, it's sexting Right. So it's explicit images. They take my phone, erase the picture and say, what are you talking about? There's no picture here. You're bugging. That never happened. You didn't see that. Um so it's may really making you feel like what you saw didn't happen, what you heard didn't happen, having conversations that never happened or um not having conversations that actually happened. So we never had that conversation. What are you talking about? You didn't tell Ooh. me to be here at three. And you're like, but wait, I know I saw this, or this doesn't make sense to me. Like, I know I didn't do this. It's only me and you in the house. Somebody had to have done this. No, you did it because I didn't do it. You must just not remember. So then you start thinking like you're blacking out, your memory isn't right. You start really sucking guessing your, your own mind and like did i experience that or am i overreacting or am i blacking out and being so absent minded that i don't uh that i don't remember and that usually caused somebody to walk on eggshells and can lead to like uh severe psychological damage PTSD um, what I call fracturing of the personality, which is kind of on the spectrum of disassociative personality disorder, depending on how severe um, the
0: gaslighting goes. Wow. Wow. That's intense. Like, even just hearing that, I was feeling like, wait, well, wait a damn minute. Like... <laughs> That's what I, I
1: like to use this simple one. It's like, it's literally somebody making you feel like you're going crazy. And people get gaslighted within friendships. People get gaslighted within um, work relationships, right? Where your boss is like, I told you to do this. And you're like, no, you did not. You never told me to write this report. I know I'm not crazy. I write everything down. I'm not absent-minded. Like it can happen in the workforce. Like it happens within families. You know, that memory you had, that didn't happen when your childhood. What do you you talking about? You had a happy childhood. (gasps) Childhood was happy. And it's like, yeah, I understand my childhood was happy. But I remember, you know, this argue crazy argument that happened. And I remember, you know, things getting smashed or whatever. That didn't happen. You're bugging like you had a happy childhood. And you're like, wait, no, I know. Wow, So it can happen in intimate partner relationships. It can happen in parent child relationships and work relationships and friendships. It could be one group to when, well, I'm very big on when people, oh, racism is over. Like you're you're not, you did not experience what you experienced. Like, Mm -hmm. no, nobody meant it. Like that's gaslighting. You're trying to gaslight a whole community saying what you experience isn't your actual experience trust me I know what your experience is I am the you know the expert in this you did not experience that so that's how one group can do it to
0: another Yeah, man I don't think I ever really thought about it on um on a group basis like I always started like you said like intimate partner relationships I think like when I think of you know DV or I think of gaslighting, I like my mind immediately goes to intimate partner relationships. Um, But wow, like you just blew my mind a little. Bit, honestly. <laughs> I'm also like going back in my memory. Like, has this happened to me? Have I been gaslit? And I'm sure that I have because it must happen to. It, it happens to
1: all of us. Yeah, it's think of it like when you're in a meeting and. I, even though people look at it as mansplaining, to me this is a part of gaslighting. When you're in a meeting and you say something and they completely ignore it and then a man says the same thing and you're like, wait, am I bugging? Did I say that or did I not say that? So you start to think like, wait, was that my idea? Was that not my idea? Like that's gaslighting. We can gaslighted on a daily basis when you turn on the news and unfortunately if you hear, you know, I call him number 45, but you hear him skewing all these conspiracy theories and like what you're seeing with your eyes isn't true. Or, yeah, you, I didn't say that yet, or I didn't write that yet. You have the tweet or the recording of him saying it, and it's like, don't believe your ears, don't believe your eyes. Like, that's gaslighting. That's how one person is literally gaslighting a whole country. Wow. Uh, so for a lot of women during this time, especially since his, uh, presidency have been very triggered. I myself have been triggered because I'm like, I know what gaslighting feels like. Mm-hmm. I would, you know what I'm say? I have experienced that. I know what that feels like. I know what I'm feeling isn't in my head and you're not going to gaslight me and it can get extremely frustrating. Yeah. So women who've dealt with, um, who are survivors of DV, a lot of times can't even watch the news anywhere because they feel like they're being there. My
0: goodness, that's that's horrendous, y'all. Like, I mean, just hearing that and just seeing, like, this is the state, you know, and we're not going to really be discussing, you know, politics in number 45, but this is the state of the country right now. And, like, how horrible is that? I mean, uh, like, it's so frustrating. Right, right, right. And, I mean, I'm thinking now, like, wow, it's so insidious because it really makes you question, like you said, your sanity question, like your intuitiveness and what you feel like you intrinsically know and understand. And I, and I'm thinking of even friends who who always have, like, I had a feeling, I had a feeling and I just kept ignoring it. And they just kept saying this and this. And like, you just see how like over time, this, like this subtle manipulation that is really hard to, I think, become objective about, because like you said, like it's, it's this cognitive dissonance that's just being fed to you like over time. And if you can't trust your mind, Mm -hmm. you know, what can you trust?
1: And it could go as far as somebody staging like really bizarre events. So uh, we've had, I've had cases where, like a cell phone in a classroom would go missing. And the girl had no memory of taking the cell phone. And when she went home, the cell phone is in her book bag. And she's like, what the hell is going on? Come to find out because her boyfriend was sitting right behind her, he would put the he would put things in her bag. So like she it would mess with her mind. Or we've had uh, people who like would move the the um the the furniture like an inch every single day so every time they walked into the house they felt like something was off but they couldn't figure out why it was off we had people who um were spoofed so they would spoof the number and say like uh text them like oh your mother is going to meet you is not going to meet you here she's going to meet you here and so they're in this other place and their mother's like, where are you? I've been waiting for you for 30 minutes here. They're like, I got a, I got a text message from you that, you know, you're meeting me here now. And they're like, I never sent that. What are you talking about? So people use technology, um, feeling. There's a great movie literally called gaslighting. Um, that's where the phrase comes from. And it's a movie. It's a, it's an old movie. It's a black and white movie. I suggest people see it if they really want to see how deep gaslighting can go. And it's this man who drives this woman crazy. He's obviously abusing her, but he never lays one finger on her. Mm. She ends up in a mental hospital on more than one occasion. And it's just the whole movie is him gaslighting her. And you see all these different tactics that he uses. And that's actually where the, the name Gaslight comes from. Because it was just so, like you said, insidious, where it was to the point where she wanted to kill herself because wow. like, I am crazy. I can't live like this anymore. Wow. You really thought it was that she was crazy.
0: I don't think I could watch that because I'm feeling so <laughs> triggered just hearing this. I like, Oh my God. That's so horrible to make anyone question, you know, their sanity or question what they know or don't know or feel or don't feel. So, I mean, is there, I don't know if there's an answer for this, but like, so people that um, do the gaslighting, do they know what they're doing? Like they're doing it intentionally? Like, is it? Um, a lot of time,
1: yes. And sometimes no. I would mm-hmm. say it depends on the person. Not everybody who abuses is um socio you know anti-social personality disorder type of person there are some of them who are yeah. um but some people do because at the end of the day even if you're not doing it to make let's say you're not doing it as bad as um saying like putting the cell phone in somebody's bag or moving the the uh furniture but you're saying you know oh, I'm not cheating, like, that feeling that you have that I'm cheating, I'm not cheating, just so they don't get caught, you're still manipulating a person. Who gives you the right to manipulate a person? Instead of giving up the facts and being like, you know what, everybody, nowadays, this is not the 1950s, 60s, even 70s, 80s, 90s, like, there's so many different types of relationships now. You never know who, some what, or, or, who somebody is or what type of relationship they might be open for. If you don't have that conversation with them from the get, when you manipulate somebody, you take away their choice to choose Mm. and you take away their power that way. So even if you're not meaning it to manipulate, like to cause them distress, but to get your way, Who gives you the right to take away their choice? Why is your choice more important than theirs? So that's the difference within like unhealthy and toxic relationships that even though might not necessarily be abusive, they don't mean to do it in an abusive way. uh, It's a power struggle, and you're taking away somebody's power and autonomy over their own life when you do things like that. Instead of being honest and saying, you know what, I really like you, I really like spending time with you, but I'm just not in a place where I can be, you know, I can be monogamous, you know. I want to spend time with you, but I'm just not in a place to be monogamous. You'd be surprised what people are okay with and are not okay with. Yeah, you, know? you shouldn't force that choice on somebody. Yeah,
0: wow. I think that's a great point, and that's and this is just making me think because, um, I mean, I don't think I'm wearing around gaslighting people. I really don't. <laughs> if anyone feels that way? Let me know, please. <laughs> but I'm wondering too, like, like you're saying, like is passive aggressiveness part of that? You know, the person, and I'm going to speak for myself, the person who's afraid to have like a confrontation. And so if I'm upset, I, you know, I get quiet and then the person's like, what's wrong? And I'm just like, nothing, nothing, nothing. Right. Like, is that a part of like manipulation in a way of like, I don't know.
1: I wouldn't say that because I feel like everybody has their own experiences. Like yeah. right? Everybody has experienced whether some form of a- Abuse, or have witnessed something or just even you know community trauma or just the way that you're raised culturally right so in some cultures you don't talk about these things you put on a smile and you keep it moving and that's it you know so it's sometimes it's a cultural thing um I think if you use it to the point that to hurt somebody it can be toxic and if you use it to a point like I'm gonna stay quiet because I know it drives this person crazy then that's different versus I don't feel comfortable having these conversations but then that's a deeper conversation that I always say that people need to have with themselves mm. um, and if be if you can with a therapist um, because this is stemming from something you know what I'm saying and the key to any healthy relationship really is communication. Like you have to feel comfortable being able to communicate with each other, no matter how scary it is. Um, That's why I even tell my teenagers, like, I was like, I know it's uncomfortable to talk about sex. Like who wants to talk about sex and be like, I like this and I don't like this. And this isn't that. Like it's an uncomfortable conversation to have. But if you can't get to that place to have that conversation with somebody that you're dating, then should you really be having sex with that person? Because at least you then get to set, and it's the same thing within relationships, right? If you can't have that conversation, then how do you set up boundaries that you're not okay with somebody crossing? You don't put up those boundaries from get, like saying, I'm not okay with this. Or if if something happens and having that conversation and setting up that boundary, like this, I'm not okay with this and this is not to happen again. Um, how are they supposed to know that that's a boundary that there's crossing? Like, Especially as women, we want to think, like, it's common sense, right? You don't do certain things. Oh, yes. For some people, it isn't that common sense, especially if they grew up in a household that there was a lot of fighting or the father was – or somebody was cheating all the time, like – that becomes normalized to them. So they think that's a normal part of a relationship. But if you turn around and you're like, no, I'm not okay with you speaking you know, down to me or I'm not okay. And if they do, they can't use the excuse, uh, well, I didn't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, what you said is like, honestly, spot on communication, communication, communication. And I think it's like, what I've learned and what I've witnessed, um, and even just with discussions with like other friends, is like, we're never really taught how to communicate effectively um and I mean in general not just in romantic you know intimate partnerships but just even with our friends with our family with our bosses like and especially you know as people that identify as women like uh, I feel like a lot of the impetus is placed on us to be the communicators but if we ourselves aren't necessarily taught how to you know communicate our wants our needs our boundaries like you said or like it's a mess. Like, <laughs> but I think like what I'm gaining from all this is like we each have I think a responsibility to ourselves to sort of cultivate awareness mm-hmm. into what is okay and not okay for us, like where the limits are, um, and yeah, and where and where we still need work, right? Where we still need growth, like, and mm-hmm. and to you know seek ways in which to to do that or to find that or to get that. Yeah. I think what also happens, you have certain
1: societies, um, like in America, we're very individualistic. Where you look in Latin America is very uh, collectivism. So it's like for the greater good of the community. Where in America, it's very individualistic. So when a large part that comes with that is, you know, the part of power, right? Getting more power, 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 power. But when we communicate often, we're using what I call power over versus power within. So power within is, you know, I'm gonna be assertive, I'm gonna make my point, but I'm not gonna put somebody else down to make my point you know um it's using i know it sounds so arbitrary but like using i words Use and shit. feeling words not like i feel like you're dumb like that is not <laughs> feeling it, but saying like i feel frustrated when i feel like i'm not being listened to you know like so you bring it back to yourself and putting it out there that way Um, But it's hard to communicate that way. And it's definitely a growing muscle. Um, It's not something that kind of comes out overnight, I can be the first person to say that I sometimes mess up, whether and especially when there's different power dynamics. So like, when I'm speaking to my daughter, right, sometimes I will speak with power over and then I'll catch myself and then I'll have a conversation and I'll apologize and this isn't that because I'm frustrated and you know but it's because that power dynamic so it's so much easier to talk with power over instead of power within it's different like if I'm speaking to a police officer I'm not speaking with power over because they the power dynamics have shifted I'm now less powerful than they are or in a job or you know what I'm saying so if you can control how you speak to people in power then you can control how you speak to people who have less power than you or like at the equal level than you and like i said it's a muscle it's something that you're constantly trying to practice with um and the same thing with communications like it took me a very long time to turn around and say no these are my boundaries or this is what i can offer somebody like listen i'm in school i'm a full-time mom i work full-time like i don't have extra time Like. I don't expect for me to be in a committed relationship because I I wouldn't be fair to the other person, but I'm letting you know like these are my cards. If you're okay with that, cool, we can hang out, this, this and that. But if you're not like I completely understand that I'm not going to give somebody this false hope of a relationship that could happen when there there's not enough hours in <laughs> the day yeah. for me. So it would be unfair to somebody and say, oh, I want to be in a relationship, or I want this, or I want that, when I know I can't offer that to somebody. So it took me time to turn around and say, like, this is what I can offer. Like, you seem really cool. I genuinely like hanging out with you, but this is all that I can offer, like, not trying to be mean. and." Whether it works out or whether it doesn't, like it ends up, we end up becoming friends or because I was honest from the get, you know, Uh, and that's, that's the difference with communication. And it's really, it comes from like, not to sound cheesy, but from self-esteem, like knowing what I can offer a person and not being ashamed that I can't offer more.
0: Yeah. Woo. That's a word. I love that. I mean, just honesty, honesty in our communications, also honesty, Within ourselves, what do you want? What do you actually want? What do you need? And what are you capable of giving? And having those honest conversations with ourselves, so that we can have those honest conversations with those, out, you know, outside of us. And exactly. How
1: unfair is it for someone, let's say, even on the other side, because we see this very often within, you know, where one person is like a go getter, a type of personality, going after, you know, their their job and like really trying to focus 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 on their career we see that often uh, where they're like oh yeah but i want the white picket fence and the this and the that and it's like yeah but how fair is that for you to ask for that yet you can't give that same time and respect and love to another person then it becomes one-sided and that's where you see toxic and unhealthy relationships because it's one person giving love and the other per and love languages, right? That's another big thing in it. The love language, like being honest on what your love language is. If you're someone with someone who's super cuddly and you're someone who's like, not nah, like I, <laughs> I show love by like helping you and doing things for you. Like you have to be honest about that because th- someone will think that they're showing you love and because they're doing things and buying you things and taking care of you, yet your language is, I need someone to hold me. And you're feeling unloved. They're feeling unloved. And you both think that nobody's loving each other, even though every you're loving each other in your own love language and not their love language. So it's just being, it's, it, that's where the communication comes in, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think too, especially um, as we were talking about like, gaslighting i mean hmm communication i mean i don't know <laughs> like so what would you suggest then like for for those who are being gaslit in certain um ways and they and they're able to recognize that they are being gaslit like what would you suggest that they then do are they like do they just communicate that? Like, look, I know that you've been lying or trying to manipulate me, or will that just make the other person like double down? Like, what should they do?
1: So it depends on the relationship, right? So if it's like an unhealthy relationship, where there's a power struggle, um, I always suggest having some type of mediator, even if you're using I words, because if the person is not ready to receive what you have to tell them, you can speak to your face turns blue using I words and feeling words and like, trying to beg somebody to listen to you, but if they're not ready to really receive what you have to say, they're not going to listen and they're going to double down. Uh, That's why, like, I'm I'm a very big believer in, uh, well, if you're in a, unhealthy. I'm a very big believer in couples therapy in the sense of having that other person there to mediate so the other person can try to listen to you. And then if they're not listening, the therapist will turn around and tell you this person is not ready to listen to you. Like you will have your one-on-one sessions with the therapist say, you know, from what it looks like, from what it seems like, it doesn't look like this person is ready to listen. Now you have a decision to make. If you are in an abusive relationship, that is a completely different story. Mm -hmm. Do not bring it up. Do not try to use eye feelings. Uh, I words, or even feeling words, because that person is going to turn it around on you. So they're going to make you feel bad for being depressed. They're going to make you feel bad for knowing that you're being gaslighted. And then they're going to manipulate your brain to, to make you feel that you're not being gaslit. So they're gaslighting the gaslighting kind of situation like where no, but this isn't happening. Like I show you love I do and they will manipulate you to the point where up is down you know and down is up kind of situation and everything will feel like your brain literally feels like it's mush you don't Mm. know where to go who to go to um one of the big ways that i always say to somebody to know whether the difference if they're in a toxic or an abusive relationship has nothing to do with physical violence Mm. has everything to do with if you feel fear if you feel fear in your relationship whether fear uh, repercussions um Oh, because I said something now, you know, he's not going to come home tonight or he's going to do something that is going to embarrass me or fear of like that they're going to put your reputation out there, fear of putting images out there, like any type of fear, even fear like this person is going to break up with me and I can't survive without this person. Why do you feel like you cannot survive without this person? What has this person done to you mentally that you feel that you cannot survive without this person? So any form of fear, if you're feeling fear, I always suggest go speak to somebody, whether that be a therapist, uh, preferably a service provider, because not all therapists are understand the dynamics of domestic violence, um, and might turn around and say, let's do couples therapy. You never, ever, ever, that is the biggest no-no. No couples therapy in anyone feeling, um, experience domestic violence. It can literally... First of all, the person is going to try to manipulate the situation. Um, the person is the person who is experiencing the abuse. Are they going to really feel comfortable seeing how they feel in front of a person who is causing them abuse and that they're fearful of? No. And if they do, then that can put that person's like uh, life at risk. So never Couples therapy. Yeah. Like never ever. I never know, never couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I suggest, like I said, seeing a therapist on yourself or a service provider, because we'll talk about the different dynamics of uh, domestic violence. And then you make the choice on uh, is this what you're experiencing? I will say about 90% of the women who come in to see us, none of them really identify as victims of domestic violence you know they're experiencing some form of abuse they're experiencing some form of violence they know it's not right but they don't identify as victims of domestic violence um that's why when even using the word domestic violence or intimate partner violence we don't even put that on our like flyers that we put around the community we say are you experiencing some form of harm in your household or in your relationship so just speaking to someone and then when you start seeing things like what I my favorite tool, which is the power and control wheel, which talks about all the different dynamics of DV, um, without the physical. So isolation, peer pressure, threats, manipulation, psychological abuse, um, intimidation. Um, so once you start, and you're like, oh wow, this is being done. This is being done to me because you don't really see that as abuse. Everybody thinks abuse, and they think of the physical or the threat. Yeah
0: physical yeah i definitely would say that that has been my like prevailing thought about it is you know the the physical aspect of it because i don't know it it feels the most you know visibly damaging of course um but yeah realizing that there are all these other elements and components to it whether it's like emotional manipulation mental and and so forth and so on financial like oh it's so it's so crazy (laughs) i mean at its at its core uh,
1: domestic violence is about power and control over another person. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it's about. It has nothing to do with the physical. It has everything to do. If you have autonomy and power over your own life, if you don't think you are in an abusive relationship, you are in, in a, um, you're experiencing some form of abuse, whether it be uh, child abuse, Abuse, whether it be DV, whether it be sexual abuse, sexual assault, it's all about having power and control over another person. So when I like talking about domestic violence or whenever I do webinars or uh, workshops, I always talk about coercive control because that is what DV is about. It's using all these different forms from isolation to threats to manipulation to gaslighting to coercively control another person okay. uh, and that person not having autonomy over their own life. That's what the hits are about. That's what the violence, even the physical violence, right? It's about being able to control that person. You hit that person so they know you don't do what they, what you don't like the next time, a punishment. Like when parents like spank their children, why do parents spank their children? Not because they want to go around unless they're like super abusive. I mean, we have those cases, but you know, why do parents go around beating, you know, hitting their child? Is because they touched something that they weren't supposed to touch, or they said something that they weren't supposed to say. Um. So you see those same dynamics in abusive relationships.
0: Yeah. Wow. Man. Okay, guys, this, we're starting to get into the heavy stuff. So we're going to take a break real quick. And we'll be right back with our main topic discussion where we'll dive more into DV and like the different elements and aspects of it, um, apart from the physical, as Stephanie mentioned. And so we'll be right back. <music> And welcome back to the show. We are now headed to our main topic discussion, known as the stoop. And this is where we get real, put our satin bonnets on, as I always like to say, take our bras off, and get comfortable. And as I mentioned today, we are talking about you know domestic violence and domestic violence awareness. So trigger warning again, guys. Um, just in case you know certain topics uh, are triggering to you, or for whatever reason, uh, just just a warning. Okay. So I do want to ask, and feel free to answer as little or as much as you want. But like, what drove you, or why did you choose to get involved in like the work that you do? Because as we, had, I'd said to you during the break, it can be very heavy, you know, emotionally heavy work. So, what what drove you to that like sort of decision?
1: Um, I would say a couple things drove me to that. Um, I was always an activist. Like in high school, I was protesting against the war in Iraq. Like my my grandmother used to call me Juana de Arco which is Joan of Arc in Spanish because I always had a cause apparently um but then I experienced domestic violence um and as my mother would say she would have never guessed that I would be the type of person to experience that um but when for me personally even though I did deal with physical violence um and sexual assault from this person he was so much older than me. He was about 14 years older than me and I was about 21. So that was something that I even bring into my work now. Like when I speak to young girls, it's not. So for me, I started volunteering at the healing center. Um, I went there once because my cousin is the executive director and my aunt who was a correction officer turned around and said, you need to go speak to her. Like you need to speak to her. And I literally only went once, but that once changed my life. It turned, I always say it turned, it started me on the journey from being a victim to a survivor wow. because I saw the power and control wheel and yeah, I knew the physical violence like everybody else. But when I looked at that power and control wheel, I just completely broke down because I was like, he did every single one of these. Like, not like, oh, he kind no, he did every, like, he checked every single box. Um, and then looking at, back at my experience, you know, I realized that this person was sadistic. Like, we, we like to, when we talk about abusers, or now people call them, um, you know, a person who causes harm, I personally am not too big on that label. I feel like it doesn't put accountability on the person who honestly is causing the abuse, so an abuser, but I get why they would do it. Um, there's different types of abusers, right? Like there's abusers who have, this is all they've experienced, this is all that they know, and don't get, although it's always a choice because if you can control your anger with your boss, if you can control your anger with police officers, then you don't have an anger issue. Um, Ooh, wow. yeah. so you have abusers who like, this is just what they think a normal relationship is like. You have abusers that use the machismo, you know, um, I'm the man type of thing. And that's their view on women. Then you have men who are abusers, cause it can be a female. It can be any, it could be same sex relationships and it can be somebody who's trans. Unfortunately, usually the person who's trans is experiencing the abuse mm-hmm. because the power dynamics, even within society, um that get pleasure out of abusing somebody you know they literally get their rocks off on causing somebody harm and the mental part of it right so seeing somebody literally they want to strip you of yourself of your personality of everything that makes you you and mold you into this being it's like um where was uh Pygmalion right where he makes this statue and it's this perfect statue and he makes this woman come to life and this is his love right it's the same thing like they look at women as almost a pygmalion statue that they can shape to be who they want and like i said they get my abuser uh, was very obvious got pleasure of causing me pain it's usually emotional and psychological pain the physical pain i'm not so sure about i've never had a conversation with him but i can tell that this person had got pleasure out of making me feel less than and um breaking me down piece by piece so um when i saw that power and control wheel it made me um because i didn't even think of myself as a victim not because he hadn't hit me because he had but because I wasn't worthy enough of being a victim. He made me feel like it was everything I experienced was my fault. Uh, him hitting me was my fault. Him, you know, sexually assaulting me was my fault. Him having me walk in on my knees and calling him master was my fault. Um, so when I saw that, it almost released my guilt of putting myself in that situation or feeling like I made him do this because it, I did not know what he was doing until I saw the power and control wheel, but he was very aware of what he was doing. Um, So that freed me up to make me, it's not my fault. Like I am a victim, like it's okay to say it. I am a victim of DV. Mm -hmm. So it helped me get on that like journey of self healing. Um, And I was very, my personality was fractured. I was weighing um, 80 pounds wet. I looked, I was skin and bones. Um, even my cousin was like, who helped me within, uh, was would show me the power control wheel. She was like, you were, uh, a shell of who you naturally are. Like your head was always down. You were soft spoken. Like, that's not the Stephanie that I knew, or so you grow up as, um, uh, I was literally a shell of a person and within therapy um, studying dance therapy, I was able to really connect my, um, my fractured personality and realize that this fracture was going on even before he had happened. He just was kind of like the, you know, through the uh, like the stick of dynamite in the water and everything came up. But my personality was fracturing from younger, from, even though I, I'm blessed enough that my parents weren't, in, in, and my mother was in an abusive relationship. It was extremely, extremely toxic, like really, really toxic. And seeing my aunts and uncles in a, what I will honestly say is abusive relationship. When you're throwing things at each other's head, that is abusive. Um, so witnessing that and thinking that that was love or uh, wanting to find love in all the wrong places or acting like I had this tough shell when I was really this gooey hearted nice person but I couldn't show that part because I didn't want to be taken advantage of somebody saw that facade and was like you're the person they can smell it that's why with yeah Mm. that's why with victims of DV like when I'm working with them I always suggest like don't jump into another relationship because they can it's like blood in a water like it's like a shark and smells blood in the water. Like they smell you coming a mile away. So until you do the work and really fall in love with yourself, then I would suggest, and then even then being honest with yourself, cause you might get triggered. They might wear a cologne that you're like, whoa, Or they might say something or do something or take you to a restaurant. So you need to be prepared for within yourself when that happens. Um, And then I got an opportunity to start volunteering with the healing center um, because I, my background um, originally is in performing arts and dance. And I started doing dance therapy, Uh, well, dance classes, but I used to use it as as a therapeutic tool for teenage girls who were um, either experiencing teen dating violence, or were child witnesses of DV. Um, At that time, I was still working in fashion, but I just fell in love with the work and fell in love with the healing center. And then they told me about, I think six years ago, I don't know, I've even lost track. Um, Like about six, about six years ago, they had told me, you know, we have this part-time position open, it's only part-time. This I was like, I left the fashion industry and I've never looked back. And I, like I said, I fell in love with the work, um, started out as a community liaison and then went to youth coordinator and now I'm the director of youth programs.
0: Wow. 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 First of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that, for sharing your story, for sharing your truth. Um, I can't imagine the amount of courage that that takes. And given the work that you do to perhaps have to share um, different aspects of your story over and over again, um, I think sometimes there is a power that we can reclaim when we, when we put a name to a thing. Mm-hmm. And you having the strength and the understanding to say, at one point, yes, I was a victim, and I was victimized, like, I think almost can restore your power in a sense of you know having to acknowledge what you've been put through um, and now being able to say I'm a survivor, right? Like, because of all the work that you've done. So, I mean, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I, this may sound weird, but just, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy that like everything that you've been through, um, you've, survived. You've come out on the other side. And wow, like, I'm almost moved to tears. because I, I, How beautiful it is that, that you're here and that you're able to share your story and that you're able to help so many people like you're doing such purposeful work. Um, and I'm sorry that it, it took that experience to to bring you to this place with the work that you're doing. But um, man, like, how amazing, but, you know, now that you're here that you're able to do that. And I think like for anyone who may have experienced these things or is currently experiencing these things, I think um, you know, put, put down the guilt if you can, like put down the guilt and the shame because there's nothing you did. There's nothing you could have done. There's nothing that, you know, to justify anything that's happened to you. And it's, it's not your fault. Like it's never your fault. And I want to say that's
1: probably the hardest part, especially for, um, mothers who experience abuse. Um, there's and and culturally too, right. I've heard so many women turn around and say, this is my cross to bear, you know, um, and it's no, this is not your cross um, to bear. Like, that's, that's not okay. Like, no, this is not what God wants you to experience. Uh, I do believe everything happens for a reason. And I am blessed enough that I found purpose and meaning out of what um, happened to me. Um, do I feel like I would always be in this industry? I think so in some form or another, because I was already wanting to um, do dance therapy. Um, and help deal with trauma because I had experienced trauma from before right I'm a cha- I'm a uh, survivor of child sexual abuse I you know there was so many other things that had happened but we buried them inside so that's why I'm saying like this person was able to smell it and although I had this tough exterior and everybody in high school called me B for bitch because I didn't take anything from nobody like it was a facade. Like it really was a facade. It was this wall that I had up to not let you know that I was like dying inside. Mm -hmm. And this person was able to smell it, you know? So until the work is really done, we can try to lie to ourselves or kind of like fake it till you make it. But that's not how trauma works, unfortunately. You can't fake it till you make it because it's always going to be underlined in there. And the hardest thing to get over is the guilt. Yeah, I tell you right, the hardest thing to get over is the guilt, the guilt that my child witnessed some of the things that I went through, uh, that I had this person around my child and my child's life that broke me down because, you know, then she has issues and she deals with anxiety. And as a mother, you want to be able like as a mother, you want to be able to protect your child. So when you feel like you hadn't protect your child, or you, or for some women, get it, it's as bad as if they call the police, and if their abuser is still in there when ACS shows up, they get their children removed from them. You know, so it's so much guilt that people who experience um, violence really feel, and you really do put it on yourself because a lot of the Abuse that happens is the person not taking accountability over their actions and saying it was your fault. Why do you make me so mad to treat you like this? Why do you make me want to do these things to you? Why do you force my hand if because you don't listen? Things like that. So you start to really internalize that and say, well, because I did this, they did this. I don't care what their excuse was. I don't care if you turned around and cursed out their mother like that is no right for them to you know physically mentally sexually emotionally abuse you because if they weren't okay with that at any time they could have stopped it and turned around and said you know what this relationship is over and it's not working yeah but they didn't want that so they were just using that as an excuse to abuse you yeah so with women what i try to get them to understand is i don't want to talk about the incident that happened that when he hits you or when he sexually you know assaulted you i want to know in the beginning of the relationship like what signs were there there in the beginning of the relationship for me Mm -hmm. i will always remember a time that i had friends meeting me at a bar that my best friend used to be the general manager at and it was loud and she had there her boyfriend and another guy. And there was like another girl with me. And I was waiting for him to show up. It was crowded. I didn't see him. I'm sure. I'm, I'm 4'10". Yeah. So <laughs> I had to to be able to listen to the other people. I had to kind of like go on my tippy toes and over the bar. And he, And this was in the very beginning of the relationship. And he walked in and he started a huge scene because he said that I was flirting. And that I was being flirty and this and how disrespectful that was, this, this, and that. And I'm and I'm spending hours crying, trying to explain to him why I wasn't that I wasn't being flirty or overly friendly. I was just trying to listen mm-hmm. to this conversation, you know? And now I look back at it, no matter what I could have said, there was no way that would have changed this man's thoughts. Because that's when he was starting to abuse me. That's when he was starting to control my uh, moves because at that point I wanted to start isolating myself because I'm like I don't want to get into these arguments anymore so if I isolate myself and I don't hang out with anybody else then I can't get in trouble but no matter what because it wasn't on it wasn't my insecurity that was his insecurity so no matter what I did I would have never been able to make him feel secure enough times when the abuse was really bad that we're in a taxi and I'm just looking outside because he's like reading me a new one and being who he was. And I'm looking outside the taxi. There's men and women walking. Why are you looking at the men? I'm looking literally at nothing. I'm just looking okay. out because I cannot see this person's face while he's telling me about myself yeah. or trying to make me a better person. Yeah. I just I couldn't look him in the face So just looking outside at a window. You're in a car, can you really pay attention to who's walking or why are you paying attention to the yeah. men?
0: And then you're on tenterhooks because everything sets them off. Everything sets them off and you're so you're just constantly walking like you said on eggshells like and policing your yourself, policing your behaviors, policing your thoughts, your actions. And that's the like we keep saying, like the insidiousness of it is they get you to start policing yourself. So then you turn around and you can't even say anything because now it looks like you're doing it. Right. And then on top of that,
1: because you're doing that and you're walking so much and you're so hypervigilant, you're going to make mistakes because- just your brain is is in survival mode. So mm. those exact directions that they gave you become mumbled in your head. So instead of hearing honey ham, you hear honey turkey and you bring in honey turkey and it's a big thing because you bought the wrong thing. And now you're petrified how this person's gonna react. Wow. So even though you try to police yourself because you're in a constant state of arousal, and not a good arousal, literally meaning your stress hormone, your cortisol just running through your body 24 seven in a constant state of arousal, you're going to make mistakes because your brain is just trying to survive. Yeah. But then you get into more trouble. So it's just this nasty cycle of no matter what you do, even if you do it right, you're never going to do it as good as they want you to. Yeah. It's gonna find something to nitpick at you. About yeah.
0: It. Which I think is like where we're saying like the accountability, I think the majority of it lies on the person that is the abuser because like you said like there's nothing that you could do that would stop this from happening it may not be the scenario in the bar but he would have found another way to cause that argument like he was going to look for it or he was going to incite it he was determined Mm -hmm. to find this So he was going to find it and like that's not on you and that's not on anyone who has or is you know experiencing you know this and it's Oh, I can only imagine like it, just how hard it is. And I'm and I'm like thinking of like friends who I've seen, you know, witness have like certain aspects of these like relationships and just being on the outside. It's hard to comprehend. It's especially like you say, like if you to know someone, especially if you've known someone a long time, you're like, you're this strong, independent, willful like person, you know, how could this happen to you? Or how could this happen to me? And it's just like, no, that's not your fault. No matter who you are, who you thought you were like, It can. It happens. It happens.
1: We once, um, when I first started at the healing center, one of our galas, we honored a doctor who was a victim of domestic violence. And this is a woman with a PhD, uh, MD doctor, Mm -hmm. and she was a victim of domestic violence. So it's not. People have their mind. I think on who is a victim, and they need to throw that out because. Anybody can be a victim. Anybody can be a victim. It doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't remember your gender, gender identity, it doesn't matter your sexual orientation, it doesn't matter your race, religion, socioeconomic class. It happens in the very rich and the very poor in all cultures. It's not a Middle Eastern thing or a Latino thing or Africa. No, it happens all throughout every single culture because it's this view of, you know, we don't deal with our traumas. You know, it's a nasty cycle. Very often, people who abuse have been abused themselves. Even my abuser was abused, physically abused as a child and witnessed his mother being abused, Hmm. you know, that it becomes this nasty cycle. uh, And it often doesn't get broken. You know, it's, And when we speak to even the women, you know, their mothers were victims, they were sexually assaulted, or because a lot of our um, women come from Central and South America, that when crossing through the frontera, they were sexually assaulted by that coyote. So like, it's just a whole lifetime of being sexually assaulted, being abused. So when you get into a relationship, guess what? What do you think you feel like you deserve? That's normal. And what we also see a lot is, you know, trauma bonding. And I don't think people like, why don't women leave? Well, or why doesn't a person leave? Well, unfortunately, it's most dangerous for a person when they choose to leave, especially when a woman chooses to leave. Like, this is when gender does play a role into especially for women. It is so dangerous for when a woman decides to leave. Yeah. That's where we see often, you know. That's why I always tell people: if you're in a relationship and you try to end it, and the person says, "You know, I'm going to kill myself if you leave me," you need to take that very seriously because it can be one of three things. It could be one that they're just trying to manipulate you and make you feel bad. It could be that there's mental health underlining mental health issues or addiction or other things that you are not the reason. That he's gonna kill himself but or kill themselves because it's just there's underlying issues going on that that on top of that might cause somebody to harm themselves. Or we all what we also see often is murder suicides. So yeah, I'm gonna kill me, but I'm gonna take you with me. It's yeah. you know, uh what is it? Uh every uh every day three women are killed due to domestic violence. You know, every nine seconds someone is being battered in America, like Within, look at—we've been already talking for over an hour. If every nine seconds a woman is a woman is battered in America, <sighs> just imagine how many just from the time that we're speaking. We're speaking, yeah. So, like the danger aspect of is a part of it. Um, we have girls or women who, because um, we mostly deal with female-identifying individuals and children. Okay. So, for many of the females we work with, you know. We've had them that they're a part of a gang. Maybe the person that they're with is a part of a gang. Or maybe they know the illegal activities, like for me, the illegal activities that they were a part of, and they used to threaten them. Like, if you leave me, I'm gonna have to have you killed because you know too much information. Um, so that causes somebody to leave to stay even more because it's a survival mechanism. Um, they know there, and then order protections yeah, that might just hear somebody. But for somebody who's a criminal, for somebody who doesn't care, and we've had plenty of cases where, you know, the person just doesn't care that there's an order of protection and walks around with a gun or a knife. Yeah, that can put somebody's life in even more danger. So there's the danger aspect. And then one other large aspect is the trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of people who end up in abusive relationship, they didn't go into abusive relationship, right? Like, I heard somebody say the other day, like, nobody just joins a cult. Well, nobody just joins an abusive exactly. relationship. There's not like, nobody sees, you know, the person that they're with slap up their partner, they say, that's the person I want. Like, exactly, exactly. Happen. Mm-hmm. and very often, because Um, abusers have experienced abuse, there's that trauma bonding. Oh, this person is as broken as I am. They understand me. They see me in a way that nobody else has seen me. We've had people turn around and say, you know, the first time I was ever hugged in my life, was in this relationship. Like the first time I ever felt loved in my life is this relationship. And I'm supposed to just leave. Like I should just be able to deal with this Mm. because at least I know this person loves me. And I'm going to go back into this empty world. It's the same thing with sex trafficking. Like we've had women, you know, there's women who turn around and say the first time I ever got a birthday cake was when my, you know, trafficker bought me a birthday cake. It's the same reason why women in sex trafficking don't leave. Because it's that trauma bonding. And that is so strong that trauma bonding ends up becoming a part of your identity to the point that even when you accomplish things to yourself you turn around and you say oh well if that person hadn't done that then I would have never accomplished this but all the good things that happen in your life because of them and all the negative things that happen in your life because of yourself that's a part of the trauma bonding so then you fear if like you fear if I stop being with this person, my life is going to go to hell because all the bad things that happen to me is because of me. And all the good things that happen to me is because of this person. Wow. Yeah. That's, oof.
0: yeah. And I can see how that would be like an incredibly hard mental cycle to sort of break, especially if you're someone who had been emotionally abandoned, physically abandoned, like in any sort of way to f- have finally felt like you received genuine, authentic love being who you are and being able to share your trauma with someone, even just verbally saying X, Y, Z happened to me. I've never told someone that before the incredible amount of vulnerability that takes. And then once you get yourself in that vulnerable space, it's like, that's when the tender hooks come in. Cause they're like, gotcha. And you're like, God damn. And then, uh, and I feel like that's probably, this is part of the things that like those of us who maybe have not personally experienced DV or, um, don't maybe know someone or just like the broader, you know, sense of us may not know about these things like trauma bonding or a um, oh man I can't like there's so much I can't really like think of you said something uh, before that that was like so spot on as well um, about why don't they leave because of how dangerous it can be to actually leave in in spite of how dangerous it is to stay like sometimes it's a matter of well if I stay at least I'm alive yeah. And if I leave, like that might not be the case. And there could be, like you said, also um, like the criminal aspect or someone implicating you in their own criminal activities. And then you're, you're, you know, risking, you know, being arrested okay. or, you know, being whatever. So it's like, so, 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 so many things that I think um, a lot of us are, are unaware of. And like, we just kind of on the outside going, you know, you hear it so many times. Why does she stay? Why does she stay? Why does she stay? And you just like, how can you, how can you begin to really understand and know have that level of empathy and give that amount of grace to people if you haven't been through it but i'm hoping with this conversation that you know people can see like it's not a matter of wanting to leave or stay like Mm -hmm. it's literally life or death you know
1: Mm -hmm. and i try to like for people who haven't experienced it experienced it we all have either that really toxic friend or that really toxic family member that even though they have messed with us and like hurt us in so many different ways we just can't let them go like they're still our friend for some reason or they're still like you're like but that's my father or my mother or my brother whomever like we've all had that one toxic person in our life that we could not shake now just imagine that toxic person being the only person that you feel have ever showed you love and unfortunately you know uh a majority of women who are in, who are in prison, it's because of abusive relationships, you know, whether it was the criminal activity that they got involved with and really didn't have a choice over because, you know, that ride or die, toxic man- like, Oh, mentality. Like, I hate that word. Somebody act. they're like, Oh, you're not ride or die. I said, Hey, no, I'm not I'm right or die for myself, I'm right or die for my child. I'm not a ride or die for some other relationship that you're gonna take me down with you. If you genuinely care about a person, you don't take them down with you. You want better for them. You know, and even women who a lot of murders that happen that women go to jail for for killing their abusers. Yeah. yeah. For killing their abusers, so now they're in jail for that, you know, or for being behind of a man who, you know, took them down with them. Because at the end of the day, there's that ride or die mentality. Like, that's my ride or die. Like, no, that's that mentality is so toxic. If somebody is treating you like out, if somebody is use ruining your your life, no, there's no loyalty there because they're not loyal to you. They're loyal to themselves.
0: Yeah. Man, we got it. Yo, we got to get rid of that phrase, guys. I'm sorry. I know a lot of us was like, you know, ride or die, ride or die. But like, that's it. And I and I agree with you because I was always the person and my friends would joke about this, like, like ride or die. And I and they would be like, nah, you're more like ride where? Like, where are we going? Like, (laughs) die who? Who's dying? What are we going (laughs) to die for? How about we live? How about we ride and live? (laughs) That's always me. I'm like, wait, but where are, we, where are we going? Where are we riding to? And Should we be going at this time of night? Like, I got questions that need answers before I go anywhere. <laughs> and like, um, and it could be hard, Uh, I think too, because especially like in my own personal life, I've been trying to work on like cultivating this notion of unconditional love, right? And like, unconditional love for, for myself, for self and unconditional love being able to, you know, receive and then give that unconditional love to others. And man, that can have you believing too that you, you're you willing to to put up with a lot of things because you're like, well, you know, it's unconditional love and, and they've never had anyone love them this way. And, and this is, you know, like you're saying, like my cross the barrier, and it's like, no, boo, sometimes, sometimes there's got to be, maybe not conditions, but they got to be boundaries. There's got to be something. Like, and
1: like I say, if you're staying there and you're saying, oh, well, they've never experienced love. If they never experienced love, then there's a good chance that they'll never be able to receive love because they don't love themselves. You know, so you can love somebody to death, but unfortunately that death is often your own because it's not, you know, it's not, you can love some person unconditionally, but if they're not ready to receive that and if they, and usually people who aren't ready to receive that because they don't love themselves and they've never had that feeling of being, being able to know who them, who they are and and appreciate themselves for who they are for the negative and the positive, you know, um, so it, it's hard, especially when you try to love somebody unconditionally. I, for me, I try to think of it as a, uh, I can love you unconditionally from afar. Ooh, yeah. You know, if there's somebody like I've been in relationships, and that the relationship we just we don't work in a relationship. What we're too. Too, we're too too broken to be in a relationship with each other. It'll become codependent or whatever the case is. And this person is like a really good friend of mine. So, but when they have mental. Breakdowns or whatever, my phone is always open. You can call me. But I can't be there with you living that every single day. Because how am I supposed to love you unconditionally if I can't even do it for myself? Or if I feel to the point where like I'm feeling burnt out or feeling um animosity at this point, because I'm like, it's always about you. We're always dealing with your life and this, this, and that. Like Sometimes you have to love people unconditionally from afar. Um, That's the same thing with people who like, um, I try to do some work too with people who have uh, family members, whether they're uh, parents who have children or um, friends or, you know, family members who, whichever that, love somebody who's experienced domestic violence.
0: Okay. Yes. I want to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's hard, right? We want to shake the person and tell them you need to go, you need to go now. But unfortunately those at times, those are the people that we need to at times love from afar. First is uh, it's not about telling somebody to go. It's being somebody's anchor. And what an anchor is, uh, it's, being the, being the thing that grounds them in reality. So instead of somebody telling somebody to go, you let somebody know when you're ready to leave, I'm here for you. You know, when you're ready to to leave, you have a place to stay. When you're ready to leave, I have services that I can help offer you. You know, there's this organization, that organization, like I'm, I'm here for you. When you need, um, but you have to take care of yourself too because loving that type of person, especially when you see them going back and back and back and back, can be heartbreaking and triggering to ourselves. So it's about knowing that they're not in their right mind. This is not them. This is their abuse that is speaking right now. Because sometimes they'll turn around and say some nasty things to you. Like, you don't know me. This is like whatever it is. Like they'll say some nasty things and you'll get into an argument. But that's their subconscious also doing that to try to isolate themselves. Because whether for your own safety for this person telling, putting things in, you know, the victim's head, like they don't care about you, they're against us, this is and that. Um, that's that's not. That's what I'm saying. It's not them speaking. It's their abuser speaking. So letting them know that they have a place to come to, for when you know they're ready to leave, and being that person there, and but also setting your boundaries. Be like, you know what? I know you're going through what you're going through, but you don't want to hear my real advice. Ooh. when you're ready to receive that i'm ready to be here to you but i from my own my own self i can't hear the same story of him beating you anymore or this is in that like i i from my own sanity can't do that i will always be here for you if you need even if you're gonna go back to him and you just need a place to stay for a night for things to cool off my house is always readily available so like i said it's loving them from afar you cannot yeah. be in that relationship with them because it can a, put them in more danger um, if that person if the abuser feels like you're trying to break them up they'll make that person isolate you so like all of a sudden now you're not speaking to that person anymore um they'll also do things like um they'll try to blame like you're the person getting in the middle of their relationship Um, oh girl
2: that's all
1: tactics tactics to like isolate them and get you away from them that's why it's like i like the analogy of an anchor because an anchor is underwater you don't see the anchor wow you know so if maybe you don't go out with that couple so much, but then that's that support system that is never known. So when they decide to leave or disappear, you're the place that they can go to for their safety. Yeah. Um, I would suggest, you know, if you don't speak to the person often, even if it's once a month, you know, sending them a text message. Hey, just checking up on you, seeing what you're doing. Let's grab coffee girl, or, you know, let's do something just to get them out of the house and them to see like, oh, you're actually there. Okay. But do not be in that relationship with them because it can also put your life in danger too. Like you have to always remember the the safety aspect of it. Um, yeah. But it's hard, especially when it's your child. Like you want to, like, I can honestly say my mother probably did it the best out of any and had no training or anything like that. Yes, she... I knew she did not like this person. Yeah, and he already had started putting in my head that my mother don't care about me or this and that. She just wants control over my baby. Um. So, like, he had. But my mother really, like, un- until, like, the times that he was physical with me and she saw the bruises in that, Um. she really didn't say anything negative, like necessarily like over and over and over and over again. Uh, But when I was done and I was like, I'm ready to like, I'm ready to be done. She supported me throughout the whole thing. Um, But it was dangerous because he did come to my door and I know he came to my door to kill me like I because he had threatened if this doesn't work out, I'm going to kill you Mm -hmm. over and over and over again and was very specific on how he would do it. Mm -hmm. So I knew him ringing my doorbell that that was him trying to kill me. Or calling me, calling me, calling me to meet him, that that was him trying to kill me. And my mother was coming home uh, from being with her boyfriend when that was going on. And I was freaking out because I knew he knew if he couldn't get to me, he was going to get to my mother. So like you have to always think safety. That's why when somebody is leaving a relationship, I always say, even if it's just one time, you need to speak to somebody that's in this industry because you have to do a safety plan. Like you can't just leave without a safety plan. Um, I was lucky enough, like I said, I had law enforcement members in my family mm-hmm. and my aunt was able to come with her gun and be like, I'm officer Gonzalez, like oh, thank God, and, and yeah. Because I had not everybody has that support. Yeah. Gun. So you need a safety plan. Like no one should ever really leave an abusive relief. Like leave and then come to like uh whether Safe Horizon, the okay. healing center, wherever, like speak to somebody who is a case manager, a family advocate somebody in this industry so they can help you do a safety plan because for some women it's or for some people it's not a oh i'm gonna pack up and go no it's you need to leave and leave all your stuff but there are certain things you need to take with you like your id Mm -hmm. certificate your credit card things like that um, so that you can get into a shelter if you need to get into a shelter but packing all of that a lot of times no leaving with the
0: clothes on your back wow and like man just hearing that being said, is I, I can't even imagine like myself and so many other of us like having a hard time like picturing like wow like like you said the statistics so many people are going through this every single day and that's why it's like you know you never know what someone is going through you never know, no matter how close you are to someone, there's just things that sometimes we can just never tell what's really going on in someone's, you know, home or in someone's mind until sometimes years down the line. So it's just, I don't know, it's important, especially now during COVID, like you saying, you know, check in if you can check in safely, Mm -hmm. be the anchor who's there to offer support and a safe space when the person is ready or when they need it or man. Wow. That's, that's incredible. So like Speaking of COVID, like how has that impacted the work that you're able to do and how you're able to get to people You know, want to make a safety plan or, or whatever the case may be? It's been extremely difficult
1: because now people are sheltered in with their abusers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being able to get out is almost next to impossible because nobody's working, right? Everybody's either working from home or they're working in industries that are now closed. Uh, whether like house cleaning or whatever or construction so they're literally sheltered in with their children or their children and their abusers or just them and their abusers so it's so much more difficult um what we've done is because we realized that many times uh, the abuser would let the victim out if it's to go like Food shopping goals, stand on a pantry line, things like that. So what we started doing was, um, I don't have a word for it yet, but I it's like, I call it incognito intake. In- yeah, I was about to say like
0: covert, like you just in the yeah, line.
1: like incognito intake. Yeah, it's yeah. it's, it's kind of like a underground railroad of like, wow. so you're coming in and they think you're going to a pantry to pick up a box of food, and it's good food. It's milk, it's eggs, it's produce it's me you're getting uh, like usually two boxes because we give our clients two boxes and you come in they think that you're getting you know um food but you're actually being able to speak to somebody especially if it's an emergency case so we started doing it for our clients and the community unfortunately because of the rise of covid and school opening we didn't have space to do it for the community anymore um, but we still, so if somebody contacts us or somebody shows up and they're like, hey, this is what's going on, Fridays is the day that they can call, receive food and take that home so oh, i got food and we can start so you'll come every friday and every friday you come okay so here's some information about the uh, shelters we can get you into so little by little we're able to do that and they're very unaware and they just think that they're going out and getting these boxes of food so it's like being super 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 creative Yeah. Um, we have one young woman who's like really young pregnant so we have like baby clothes and newborn pampers So we're like, just tell the person that you're gonna go to this women's organization to get that helps young mothers. And it won't be a lie because you have all that baby stuff and newborn bottles and pampers and stuff like that. So it doesn't come off as a lie. Who would think that if you go to a domestic violence agency, you're gonna get a box of food or all this newborn um, supplies and stuff like that. So it really is getting creative. Other times we've had to bring women in through the church. So, um, we are located right next to a church. So we'll bring them in through the church and then we'll bring them into our office. So it looks like they're just praying, um, or going to church. And so it you really have to, because sometimes they will be followed by their abusers. Wow. That is... We have to think of their safety yeah. safety of the staff. And-
0: that is ingenious. Oh my goodness. Like, wow. Thank God for you guys. That is incredible because it sounds weird, but you're actually, you're, you're serving multiple functions, multiple functions, because there could be a lack of access to actual like foods, right? Because of this... Oh no, there of- is. I, I-, I would tell you, I've, every single client that we
1: have, every single client that we have, is a need of food security. Yeah. The majority of our clients do come from Sunset Park. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of them are undocumented. So them not working, they don't get unemployment. You know what I'm saying? They don't get food stamps. Like, they can get food stamps for their children. But if they have one child, what does that amount to? What, $17, $20? Like, that's nothing. Um, So they don't get any help. Um, wow. Unless they have, unless they're documented. But if they're undocumented, you get no help. So I would say, a good, maybe like 80% of our clients are undocumented. So, um, and then other ones are just victims of domestic violence. So every single client we have had is in need of food security. Um, that's why we give them two boxes. So wow. like that, you can make a whole meal out of, you know what I'm saying, between the two boxes to get you hopefully through the week, yeah. and then you come next Friday and here's some another two boxes. And what we also see with the women do is, because they come from a society that's very collective, they pass on the food also. So to their friends who don't get any services either because they're undocumented. And when you go to a lot of these food lines, these food lines are down two, three like avenue blocks Um, So they stand online line for four or five hours, sometimes longer to get to the front of the line and then told that there's no more food. So they pass it forward. So what we're trying to do is have the women not only pass the forward, the food, pass over the, the information of the healing center. Like because your friend might be experiencing something or they might know somebody that's experiencing something and kind of like getting the word out that way and we're also deciding we're going to start putting posters around like supermarkets and schools okay. of you know if you're experiencing any form of harm in English and Spanish um, because those are the only languages we speak I mean we'd love to expand to, to have somebody who speaks Arabic or Mandarin yeah. um, but right now it's only English and Spanish so having those signs in English and Spanish where we know parents especially um caregivers are going um so they can get that information and then be able to connect with us because normally our a lot of our work uh our referrals come from schools but now people aren't in school that way and what they're thinking about they're not thinking about children's safety right now they're thinking about how the hell do we make this blended learning you know distance fully remote distance learning work like that's what they're thinking about Mm -hmm. um so being that children aren't in school we're not getting the referrals that we would normally get so we're trying to find like I said creative ways of getting the word out there like we're here to help like we're here we are open we're one of the few um organizations that are actually seeing people in person or having we're actually working from the office many organizations like including Safe Horizon are still 100% remote. Um only one family justice center has opened. Um but once again a lot of people don't like going to the family justice center because you walk in you have to get your ID. There is the metal detector, there is dogs. You don't know, you're like is that drug sniffing dogs or are those, you know? maybe yeah. i smoked the blunt or something and i'm now nervous like they don't want to be around the cops like it's really really intimidating especially if you don't speak the language yeah so going to family justice center for some people really don't work um but so we're one of the few organizations that are like actually open like we have staff in the office um you know throughout the week so yeah. we're, we're doing that um and just like i said trying to get super creative on um, providing services
0: yeah well you guys are doing it I mean not trying you're doing it and that's amazing that these resources exist and that they have them and I think it's like I mean there's a misconception I think a broader misconception especially here in the states when we speak of you know undocumented people about oh they're just utilizing our our systems or they're taking advantage blah, blah 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 and it's like it's bullshit like they give so much to our economy they give so much to our communities, to like. Nothing.
1: You can't actually, apply for health insurance. You can't apply for health insurance. Yeah. All they get is emergency Medicaid and that's for God forbid they're in a hospital,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: They get hit by a car or something. They can apply, they get emergency Medicaid, but it's just for that. Oh, any type of like welfare, social services, they are not eligible for. Um, you might Sometimes we can get creative because if the children were born here, we might be able to do, okay, yes, it's the mother, but it's we're doing these services for the children. Mm -hmm. So you may get some HRA assistance, but it's very far and in between. Like I said, um, if you came here and your children are undocumented too, you're getting nothing. Uh, Most undocumented people get nothing. There's not services out there for them, or there's very few services out there for them um, with, The amount of budget cuts that city council had to do uh, for various services, we're lucky enough that like the Dove Initiative, uh, which is uh, for domestic uh, grassroots community based uh, domestic violence organizations Mm -hmm. was um, we didn't lose any money in that but all these other services from health to education to all of that there there's no services for undocumented people so this myth of, that they live off the system no they can't they have no social security number how do they apply for the system you know yeah. they pay taxes a lot of them pay taxes but get none of the services from them including um, scholarships to go to school yeah so this idea that undocumented children come here to be able to go to school for free is a lie can they go to school? Yes, by law, they can they can apply to school regardless of their immigration status. However, any grants, Pell grants, uh, student loans, all of that, they don't qualify for. There's very few, um, and those are private foundation grants that do for undocumented people. But it's like for every hundred, there's
0: maybe like two kind of It's not, there's that horrible. It's so horrible. And it's such a, such a disservice we do to, you know, these are the people in our community. These are our neighbors, you know, these are our, our children's friends. Like, It's such a disservice to use these sort of divisive tactics of like what sort of paperwork or what side of the border you were born, you know, you were born on, excuse me, to justify, you know, your ability to just have access to your basic necessities and to live like a full authentic life. And like most of these people, you know, escaping cycles of abuse and violence within their community, within their, you know, native countries that you know sorry guys that the u.s you know helped fund and propagate in these oh countries. yeah that's that um, leads to a whole- <laughs> that's another podcast that's that. you
1: know, that's another conversation <laughs> y'all ready
0: to have but i'm just saying
1: <laughs> um, the united states government goes and destabilizes these countries exactly. and then supports the gang members back to these countries and yeah 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 yeah, yeah.
0: and then just to get here and then find yourself you know, embroiled in another cycle of like poverty or abuse or violence and have little to no means to, to escape that because of, you know, the quote unquote paperwork or status that you have. It's just like, it's horrible. And we should, we should all feel horrified about it. And we should all want to do something about it. So I'm so glad that, you know, your organization and others have, you know, put forth the effort to create spaces and resources to help people, especially now in COVID where like, it could be nearly impossible, like you're saying, to get to people or for people to even get access to the help that they need, um, which is unfortunate. And, you know, later on, especially um, when the episode goes out, I will have like the website link for your organization. I myself personally will be donating. I help others donate like, thank you. Um, y'all, we got to do more. We got to do more for each other. And we definitely really
1: appreciate it as grassroots organizations. It can be really hard and like community-based organizations to fundraise. You know, you have big nonprofits like Safe Horizon or Day One or even VIP. Um, but it's really hard to fundraise as a smaller community-based organization, um, and who really is at like the ground level doing this work. And we really are like the first line of defense. So for us, it's 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 obviously fundraising, but it's like strategic partnerships, right? So that's my, like with the whole police department, right? My thing is you need to be using us. Like we are the experts when it comes to DB. It is it's the most dangerous um, stops for a police officer is when they go to do domestic disputes in the home. Wouldn't it be better to have a social worker who is trained in de-escalation and in the tactics of domestic violence to go, let's say you want, I understand if you still want a police officer to go, but to go with the police officer, to de-escalate the situation so that people feel comfortable contacting them, who can, who can literally give them or like match them with services before they even get to the police, you know, station. Like that's so important because it's also difficult for what happens a lot of times is it's, you know, this referral service or that referral service. And it's like, you have to tell your story over and over and over again. And you're like, I don't want to say it again. Like we've had women by the time they get to us, they're like, honestly, I just, I don't want to talk about it again. And we're like, I'm so sorry we got that, you know. But can you at least tell me what happened in the last incident so that we can at least safely plan around this? You have to tell us, and then little by little they'll start to, you know, um, feel comfortable with us and like tell their story. But we have people like I don't want to say it again or when they said that they went to the police department they didn't take it seriously or they didn't want to call the cops because they didn't want their kids taken away like if you have a social worker there she can speak to the person and let them know why this person needs to leave because of the danger to the child and let them know what can happen versus like you need to throw this child you need to throw this person out and not explaining why they need to do that like what is the danger that is associated with this? um and then listening to the woman, she might turn around and say, Yeah, I get that. But if I throw this person out, he's going to come and kill me. Like I don't think you uh, you understand that. But if you explain that to the person and then she can turn around, or the person can turn around and say, You know what? I this is why I don't want to do that, then you they can you can make a safety plan okay so who is around we can make an eco map on what is your yeah. support system that we can get you out maybe we have to remove you versus that person being removed but you work with the mother you work with the parent you work with the victim versus kind of almost demonizing them and it's yeah. like, why are you here you should know yeah. um so it's it's kind of trying to get these bigger systems to understand even the education system like I'm very lucky to have a good working relationships with telecommunication, but there's other schools, like, they see my name and they're like, do not let her in. That's not okay. You know, you obviously are dealing with, because I I know it, because I have your students come to my programs, that you're dealing with sexual harassment, sexual assault in your school, you know, by other students. Some people even made complaints about teachers that they felt spoke to them inappropriately. Wow. You try to hide it, it's not going to, it's eventually going to end up blowing up in your face. Like, for example, uh be honest, uh, Fort Hamilton is one of those huge schools. Yeah, girl. They don't want any services in their school. Like, fine, you don't want me, but you should have services in your school. You, have, you are like a little country. Statistics show something is going to happen in that school one day.
0: Listen, I heard, you know, years later from friends that there were definitely teachers there who were engaging in not great behavior with the student body. And like, like I saying, finding out years and years down the line, I was shocked and like flabbergasted, but also just like so sad because I was like, who the fuck was helping these
1: girls? Yeah. Yeah. No one. We had girls who like, um, because they were being harassed by like an athlete, you know, that you know athletes and athletics are really big and for hamilton that they had you know were harassed by an athlete and then they were like it's like the they blame like the um, administration blamed the victim because they didn't want to get the athletes in trouble because that's where their highest accolades come from from the athletes like Mm -hmm. that's not okay like so i understand why they want to hide it because it will be Mm-hmm. It will be, a, a, you know, a, a nest that opens up. Like it, it, but the thing is, it's going to happen no matter what. Something is going to happen in that school, you know, unless you have these services like telecommunication. They call us. They're like, we have this situation. We are not equipped to deal with this. And I've gone in because sometimes teens aren't ready to speak about it, or they don't want to, you know, they don't want to go to our office. So I will go to the school and I will sit down with the teenager one-on-one and be like, so tell me what's going on. What's going on in your relationship? Like, we'll speak about it. Then I'll speak about the services we have at the healing center, you know, the Daughters of the Lotus program and like what we can offer you as a support system and letting them know that I'm here for when they're ready for, so they know that they're not alone. Um, We've had parents be referred to us from telecommunication. So like, it's so important to have that good relationship with the education system. So like, there are some schools that have the RAP program, which is really good, which is relationship abuse prevention program. Um, But that needs to be in every single school, starting from elementary school. We need to be educating children from elementary school. What are good touches versus bad touches? Mm -hmm. Autonomy over your own body. Like when I see my nieces and my nephews, I'm like, can I get a hug? And if they say no, I'm like, okay, because yeah. I want them to learn autonomy over their own body. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to grab them and be like, no, you said no. Because then that teaches children from young, your no doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So um, what are healthy relationships, you know, talking about different types of relationships, talking about different types of families, you know, making it seem like, making it normalized, you know, there's families that only have one mommy, there's families that have two mommies, there's families that have a mommy and a daddy, there's mm-hmm. families that have a mommy and a grandmother They're, you know what I'm saying, like the understanding all these different types of relationships, like mm-hmm. you can do it age appropriately. Um, and then obviously, because once I get to high school, I deal with sometimes kids from elementary school and middle school who are in abusive relationships or in toxic relationships. So we need to get to them sooner. Not in high school where they've already been practicing these toxic, you know, Behavior and that gets really reintroduced over and over again, not just by community but by society, by the shows that are on, by the commercials that are on. Like, there's times that I see movies and I'm like, this is so toxic. Like, I saw <laughs> I just recently saw a movie. I think it was I had it on in the background while I was working right before I got to, which was called um, Liberal Arts, and it's about a college advisor who is dating an 18 year old girl who is in college. Like and it's through his point of view and yet he realizes that it's bad. But why is that movie continuously being made? Why is the movie from the other side that shows what actually happened? when a a younger woman Mm -hmm. dates the older guy like what actually happens and that's why I always tell my teens honey it's not that he sees that you're mature it's that everybody in his age group sees through his bullshit so he has to go to somebody who's younger to be able to feel like a man or feel in control like when I hear that 17 year old dating that 26 year old it makes me want to it gets me infuriated because i was that girl i was that girl who only dated older guys i was 17 dating a 23 year
0: old like only dating older guys but steph if you look at it yo just think about even middle school what did we see over and over again the the girls in our grade were dating guys in high school and what do we we all thought like wow she got a high school boyfriend like wow she's so mature wow 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 and like as you Get in a, become an adult and you could process these things you start to understand you start to unpack you realize like holy shit like it is really a cycle and we are literally just trained to kind of accept these things yes. and think it's okay and then you realize like no there's there's nothing okay about that even if it's two teenagers like there's no reason why a 13 year old is dating a 17 year old like even that is a little weird to me like i'm sorry like <laughs>
1: You are in two different, I call them life spheres. You are mm-hmm. in two different life spheres. That's why I look at it like even now and I see like a seven, like for example, a 17 year old dating like a 26 year old. And they'll turn around and tell me, well, you know, once I hit like 26 and he's 36, it's not that big of a difference. I'm like, yes, it still is. I was like, you don't understand. You are in two different life spheres. Like I can't, I look at, The amount that you change from 17 to 25, there, I was like, that changing of life is like, you really find yourself. And then it happens again from 25 to 30. Yes. You <laughs> it's like a five-year life cycle where you're kind of in and you see your change. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that at 21. Or how the hell am I still alive? Or so on and so forth. It's like, no, no, you're going to constantly be changing. And if that person is 35 acting like a 25 year old then that is a problem there is something wrong where they did not mature enough where whatever the case is and a lot of it is they didn't accomplish what they want to accomplish or they're stunted in their growth whether because a traumatic event or because let's be honest parents that you know nyonya or Nyonyo, the person and it's like oh you don't have to do anything no no you're dating a 25 or i'm sorry if you're dating a 30 year old who doesn't know how to do their wash that is a problem (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah yeah if they're if they fit in with your group and you're 17 and they're 26 there is a huge problem with that. You need yeah. to really see them from when an open eye, because think about yeah, that might be, oh this person has a car, this hoopty, this is and that. Does that really feel cool when you're 26 and you're in a job and you have a career and this person still got that same hoopty working? There's nothing wrong with a hoopty or working in a warehouse, but if you're doing. St- you have all these goals that you achieve and this person is in the same place where they've been their whole life. There's a reason why, and you're going to get tired of that. Mm -hmm. If it's not going to become abusive, because that's what we also see. We see a lot, a lot of older men dating younger women because as they say, they're easier to mold. They don't want to date women in their What do I They don't want to date women in their 30s because women in their 30s are already set in their ways. So many times I have heard that. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? We are. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. Thank
0: God for that because what the, oh my God.
1: There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. So, I mean... Sorry, guys. We're two hours in. This is probably going to be a two-part episode, but it is so good. This information is so good, guys. We're just going to get and soak up as much of it as we can. So before we head to the last break, I do want to say, because you started talking about this, but like, how do you think, or what are some of the ways in, um, that you've figured out, either through your own experience or through the work that you do, um, that we can hold like ourselves accountable for like toxic patterns that we see come up in our relationships, or even that we... We start to exhibit, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. For me, I always say take a step back. You know, being honest with yourself, looking yourself in the mirror. Like I'm somebody who, I, you know, and it's once again, it's a muscle that we have. Like some people are better, better at it than other people. Some people have higher, you know, emotional intelligence than other people. I, I've been blessed that I have a very high emotional intelligence that I can self-analyze myself and say you know what I was wrong or even if you don't realize you were wrong right there because we lose our temper right we argue we lose our temper like I remember I was in a relationship and I was like I need space I'm someone who needs space before I speak because my mouth can get very reckless (laughs) and like my temper is like I It's like "No, no 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 you can't take once you say those things you can't take them back I'm telling this person, like, give me space. Let me calm down. Let me calm down before, you know, we speak about this. They don't want to give me space. I came out super sarcastic, definitely embarrassed them in front of a bunch of people outside that I had no idea that was their friends. But um, I had to, like, once I calmed down, like, I had to apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry for, you know, coming off this way or the things that I said I was like, I don't like using the word, but because I feel like everything you say before the, but like, doesn't
2: yeah. count. Yeah.
1: So like, I was like, I apologize for that. Like, What I need you to understand, though, is that I need space before we speak when I'm angry. Mm -hmm. I have a very bad temper. And the only way that I'm able to calm myself down is for my ADD brain to work through all the scenarios in my head super fast and tell myself, no, you're bugging. So it's literally me just half of the time is literally me just walking around the block, like once or twice, just so that I can let my thoughts like go through super fast and turn around saying, no, you're bugging. You were, or to be able to put my words so I can curse the person out in my head and not curse them out, you know, in person and actually sit down and have like an adult conversation and, and communicate with them in a healthy manner. So, um, it's about knowing yourself and being honest with yourself. Like I'm on, I have a temper. I have a temper. I don't want to sometimes, um, I I used to, I used to not admit that I have a temper, but I realized I have a temper. So, but I'm not a jealous person. Right. So for you, it might be jealousy. Like jealousy might be your kind of your, or what I, Carl Jung has a perfectly you know we have the id we have the ego we have the super ego but then we have the shadow and the shadow is the part (laughs) of ourselves that we do not want to admit that we have and that could be being judgmental that could be being jealous like you have to integrate your shadow into your personality. You have to be honest with you and say, you know what, I am kind of a vain person. Vanity doesn't necessarily mean I'm always putting on makeup and stuff like that. I could be intellectually vain. Like I could think that I'm the smartest person when I walk into a room. That is still a form of vanity. It's not the vanity that you think of. Mm -hmm. So another good way of Looking at it, if there's something in somebody else that bothers you really, 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 yes. really, start, start checking <laughs> with it yourself and seeing if that's part of your personality that you've kind of pushed down. Because once you can admit that you have that side of your personality, then there are tools that you can use to kind of deal with it because we all have negative and positive parts of our personality you know so being able to admit that to yourself because nobody's perfect like and if somebody tells you they're perfect run in the other direction because they have (laughs) no self-awareness like it's impossible nobody's perfect you know everybody has their thing so being able to figure out what your thing is and like and being honest with somebody in a relationship like i now have to turn around and tell somebody like i have a temper So we got into an argument, I'm going to need you to like, give me some space. Mm -hmm. Like I need space to work through my thoughts because I can't do that with you speaking at me because if I need to calm myself down, you can't calm me down. I need to calm me down. Whether that's with grounding exercises, whether that's taking a walk, taking a, you know, breathing, having a glass of wine, whatever it is that I need to do to calm myself down for us to have this conversation. Uh, and you see that sometimes where people who don't want to have the conversation right there, and the people who like need to have it right there. Well, why do you need to have it right there? You know, um, where is that being stemmed from? So, not pushing, especially like jealousy. To me, is a really big one. Jealousy is not about another person. Jealousy is about ourselves. Is about our insecurity. Being- and that person you can be you're in a relationship and you could be jealous that they have all these friends this this, is if that person didn't have all that friends you'll still find something to be jealous about when they're walking by you why are you checking that person out they're not checking that person out it's just because that's an insecurity within yourself so there's certain things that really don't come from other people and coming from ourselves
0: yeah no definitely and i I love that you said shadow work you talked about carl jung because over the last couple months i'm saying like. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again, like COVID obviously has been, you know, this global pandemic and has been horrible for so many in so many different ways. But like for me, one of the silver linings I found in it is like within the isolation, I've had nothing but time to really just get to know myself and figure out, you know, what it is that I need, what it is that I want. And part of that was being introduced to shadow work mm-hmm. and I love Jung. I'm a huge Jungian
1: fanatic. Like, <laughs> like his archetypes are like so. The archetypes,
0: high. yeah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Google calls young guys and Google that work. And the archetype does even um. I'll put up a YouTube video um that I actually sent one of my best friends like not too long ago because I was like, I was like, I'm doing the work and this is part of the work and honestly, it is about like you said like integrating those parts of ourselves that you know maybe perceived as negative or the parts mm-hmm. of ourselves that we were told were bad or that we feel are bad and just, you know, um making peace with it. Because like you said, we are all complex. No one is perfect. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we do ourselves a disservice, a huge disservice by ignoring such huge, huge parts of ourselves, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. And man, like, Oh, like that shadow Oh Lord. It, <laughs> <laughs> you just like you, and like you said, being triggered by just sometimes, having such a visceral reaction to people or what they're doing and then just having to step back and acknowledge like where is this judgment coming from and in judging them i am definitely judging myself so why am i judging myself yeah
2: yeah
0: about yes y'all constant investigation of yourself and your psyche i know it sounds intense and sometimes it is and it it can be exhausting but the light at the end of the tunnel is just um like like you said self-awareness
2: like mm-hmm. knowing
0: who you are, knowing what triggers you, knowing what you need and being able to communicate that. But also there is a beauty that comes in when you're able to fully accept all parts of yourself and like how long that can take for some of us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like we're the same age. <laughs> Let's be 32. And sometimes I feel like, <laughs> whoa, like I'm like, how are you just getting to this? But then the other part of me is like, thank God it didn't take me till like, 60 70 and 80 like
1: most people have not gotten anywhere near this and I talk about like shadow work or like the shadow side of your personality people look at me like I have 110 heads because <laughs> they're like what do you mean by that I even did um so I try to bring art into my uh my uh, youth group that I run, the Daughters of the Lotus program. And I did a choreography about a shadow and uh, the shadow sides of our personality. And what I did was every girl was dealing with some, some issue, whether like we had one young woman who had just gotten here from Mexico. So she was like lost, like she's trying to find herself in this new country. We had another girl who had like um, anger ish, like a lot of anger issues. We had another young girl who was like in a relationship and finding her sexuality for the first time and like fighting against that because she was raised super catholic so uh and it all came from this one girl who was like petrified to go on stage and I was like what if I just tie a like a bandana like a scarf around your eyes so you don't see anything and it was pretty much the name of the song was called people watcher and cause I used to be a people watcher and I used to sit down and watch all these people in central park when I got out of high school and stuff like that and make up all these stories in my head. But little did they know that I was having these, like for lack of a better word, these demons that were like going on inside of me that I wasn't accepting and I wasn't showing and I was pushing down and pushing down, which was my shadow. So I, well, I played the shadow and I used, and I, pretty much all the girls um, stood for a different part of the personality and how that how they play with that shadow kind of situation and then the girls like what the girl who was not able to go even take public transportation because she was so scared and we blindfolded her now is taking the train and all that other stuff a lot of the girls were able to come in cuz once you embody what it feels like to be angry and to be ashamed of your anger. What you Once you start to embody what it feels like to be sexual and be ashamed of that sexuality, like there's connections that make, that's why like I'm a huge component. Like, and that's why I studied Carl Jung so closely because I love dance therapy for that part. Talk therapy, sometimes to me, I feel like only gets you so far, but a lot of times trauma is at a cellular level. So you don't realize what you're really holding on to on a cellular level until you start moving. Um, that's I'm a very big believer in dance therapy and I saw those girls kind of come together in their psyche and like just have these aha moments, just being able to use like dance as that form because it's hard to accept your shadow self like it's hard to say like I'm lucky enough that my shadow self isn't jealous like whenever I feel like a little sense of jealousy my I, the first thing I check in with myself I'm like okay where is this from what is this taking away from me okay that's not nothing but like I am a little I can be very and not judgy I can be a little elitist like I realized that and that used to bother me because when people were vain with their looks like I couldn't understand it I'm like there's so much more to life this is, like it used to irk me like wow. I used to look at things like the Kardashians or like celebutants and it used to make my stomach like turn because I used to get so upset and I'm like where's the stomach from? Well my vanity is like to me education and being smart is like I hold that really high and sometimes I can come off extremely elitist with like but no, you don't understand, you need to listen to me, because I know what I'm talking about, like, I'm catching myself, and I'm like, okay, everybody has their own expertise, and their own opinions. Now, opinions are different than racism, or xenophobia, you know, because that's not opinions, like, I'm not going to sit here and listen to that opinion, because it's just incorrectly, but just because somebody isn't as well versed or educated on certain topics, like, let them talk, like, don't talk over them. So, like, catching that part of myself because it took me forever to figure out the vanity one because I was like, but why do I hate them so much? Um, but it's you feel like a whole person once you're able to accept that side of yourself. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's it's great, honestly. I mean, it's it's not it's not always going to be easy, and it takes you know, and that's part of it. Like, I, I always say to myself, like, <laughs> it's so weird, but I'm always like, you you have to go through you can't go over you can't go around you have to go through there's no easy way to get out of this you know you want growth you want evolution you want you know saying that that unconditional love of self and others like you have to go through and going through means going into the darkest parts of the cave of your psyche of your trauma without you know without a light without a friend or whatever and making peace with it you know, because we all have those parts and it's okay. The yeah. part where it's not okay is when we use those parts to justify certain actions that we take against other people. And right. that's what me coming to that part of growth, you know, being like, it's not okay anymore to just say, I'm X type of person and it is what it is. You right, either like right. it or you don't. Right, right. What the no no that's <laughs> how this life works like <laughs> like where is the accountability no like it is not yes you can be an x amount of person but what are you doing about it like you're just content to stay stuck there like like how lonely how lonely will you be you know like uh. <laughs> definitely life <laughs> yeah okay guys we're gonna head to our last and final break and we'll be right back and we're gonna wrap it all up with the roundup All right, guys, and we're back from our last and final break, and it's time for the roundup. And this is the time where we just wrap up the show, what we've discussed and even learned from our talk today. And this will also be the space for listener letters and feedback should you all want to write into the show. And please, somebody write into the show. Come on, guys. Um, <laughs> at the brownstone podcast at gmail.com. So, uh, Stephanie, I guess just to wrap it up, like, what are some resources that people can use or places that they can reach out to? So um, obviously, the healing center, we uh,
1: our services are 100% free and also confidential. So for youth who um, are experiencing some form of an abuse, you do not need a parent's permission to be a part of the healing center. Um, we have amazing services, we have a child psychologist on staff. Who deals with uh, child witnesses or DV or child uh, children um, experiencing some form of abuse? She does amazing work with um, and the young people. And when I say young, I mean as young as four years old. Um, she, I've we've seen the growth in some of these children, and they love what we call the playroom. She has a little playroom, um, and you see them. You hear them like running up the stairs and they're like, Rosemary, Rosemary, Rosemary. Oh. So that is one of my favorite programs, um, definitely to plug. There is not unfortunately a lot of services for children when it comes to DV. Um, so definitely if you know of any children that are have witnessed DV or have experienced some form of abuse, definitely give us a call. Once again, our services are 100% free. So um, it's very rare that you can speak to a child psychologist for free. Um, We also have programs for elder abuse. People think domestic violence and they always think intimate partner violence, but elder abuse is something that's very prevalent within the communities. Um, So we have an elder abuse program and elder abuse can be something as um, uh, elderly person being abused by their caretaker, so like their home attendant, um, their children, their grandchildren, we see a lot of financial abuse when it comes to elder abuse. Um, so we have a great, I'm sorry, a great elder abuse program. Um, we do do direct services um, in English and Spanish uh, for any female identifying person um, who've experienced some form, you know, of physical or emotional or psychological abuse. Um, it can be anyone who maybe you're in a same sex relationship and the person is forcing you to come out. Like that's abuse. Uh, nobody should be forcing you to come out or to identify as something as um, that you're not ready to do. So, um, so we do have services for adults. Um, for, to get referrals, um, helps with getting orders of protection, safety planning, um, getting into shelters. Um, we do, like I said, we're doing food security now. So for people, you know, who are experiencing abuse and need food, maybe that's part of the reason why they're not leaving because, you know, how am I going to feed my children? Um, so we are helping with that. We help also uh, people sign up for um, HSA and social services that they might need. So we're kind of like that one-stop shop that we can connect you to anything that, you know, you're you're experiencing and what your needs are. Um, for me personally, I have an amazing young group of uh, female-identifying youth that when I say are the future, they are the future. They give me life. Um, On days that I'm like tired and I'm like, why am I doing this anymore? And I meet with them and they just, they're amazing. These are young women who have either witnessed domestic violence, have experienced teen dating violence, or just want to make a difference in their community. It's really a sisterhood um for ages 13 to 18 although we do have some of our girls come back so i might be extending it to 19 because uh, they're in college and they're like but i still want to be a part of the program mm-hmm. um and this program is amazing we do self-work so understanding like we do some shadow work we do um com- healthy communication like role-playing on how to communicate healthy we do a lot of community education we do community engagement um uh, activism, like they, we, and then they learn about everything, all the systems that be, so they understand the systems that they're gonna be navigating through the rest of their lives. Um, they learn about all different types of gender-based violence, including sex trafficking, which is so prevalent within our communities and people aren't talking about it because everybody thinks, you know, I'm, if I hear one more conspiracy theory, like I, my head is literally going to explode because it's a huge issue but it's not the boogeyman in this corner with a white van waiting to snatch up your kid. It's that older guy that you're allowing your teenager to date. It's the Romeo pimps. It's the friends that get these young people involved in the industry. Like, so understanding those statistics, understanding those dynamics um, to really kind of counteract the messages that young girls get every single day. Every day, whether it's through TikTok, whether it's through TV, whether it's through music videos, whether it's through movies, we're constantly telling young girls that their value is only their body. Their value is being able to shake, you know, their behind and like dance sexual or how we sexualize young children. Like, no, that's not what you are. You're so much more than that. So being able to counteract all those messages that they're being bombarded with on a daily basis is so so important. Um, any youth that participates in the Daughters of the lowest program receives community service hours and we are now able we were able to get a small grant to help them get a, a small stipend. So that also shows you can do this work and make money you know um, like this is a actual viable career for anybody who's interested in this. Um, we, I also do direct services for any teenagers, uh, from the age of 13 till about 22, 23, who've experienced, who are experiencing domestic violence. Um, I work closely with the family workers to help get them services, because um, sometimes that can be a little bit, uh, tricky, especially if, uh, it's different cultures. We've had, you know, situations where somebody, uh, parents were threatening honor killing, Um, So I really deal with all forms of gender based violence and at least connecting them to services that are better um, equipped to help them. So if it's maybe it's not just, you know, domestic violence or gender or teen dating violence, maybe it's something that you're experiencing in your family that is cultural wise. Uh, I have the long slew of resources, so I can connect you to resources that might be harder for you to find. So if you're just feeling, experiencing violence or form or fe- or harm or fear, like contact me. If I can't help you, I can connect you with the right resources to be able to help you with. Um, we are located in Brooklyn, but because now everything is virtually. Um, it's we have been dealing with other boroughs, whether it be Queens or Staten Island. Uh, we've even had some people from New Jersey contact us. Um, so, like I said, because everything is going virtual now, we have a little bit more um, flexibility to deal with uh, more boroughs. I do workshops throughout all of New York City. Uh, regardless, even before uh, COVID happened, where I can really have these conversations with parents and uh, teachers and community members on understanding the dynamics of um, gender-based violence and domestic violence. We also have the Only Walk in America, that is the New York City Teen Dating Violence Awareness Walkathon, happens every year. Unfortunately, it couldn't happen last year because of COVID. We have our fingers crossed for this year. If not, we might do it virtually Um, because unfortunately the highest rate of DV happens from the ages of 15 to 24 so it's one in three versus one in four Um, so it's nobody speaks about it everybody thinks domestic violence they think you know husband wife teen dating violence it's so 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 prevalent within all communities uh, especially like I said within high schools these are the first relationships you know Young people are getting in, and they are mirroring what they see in home, what they see in their community, and what they see in TV. Uh, I do say, if you are a victim, if you are scared or fearful of your life, you know, I know a lot of people don't want to call 911, and I completely understand that. That in certain communities, um, that is a fear. But you also have to think about your own safety too. And don't not being afraid to call 911. Like they're supposed to be there for you. And what's great about working with agencies like the Healing Center is if you call the police and they don't show up, we can now hold those police officers and that precinct accountable. We can contact the DV officer to be like, what the hell is going on here? Um, so it's also, you know, when you're working with agencies like ours, it's helpful because we kind of have that working relationship that we can, you know, hold the powers that be accountable. So, um, you know, we're ducking a service. Um, there's the hotline, there's the DV hotline um, that is 24 seven that I suggest that God forbid you don't know um, if you're confused, you don't know, contact them. They have really great resources. Also, um, if you go to NYC Hope, they, um, the Mayor's Office to End Gender-Based uh, Violence has created a uh, kind of a, a whole list of CBOs in your borough. So you can look up what on the computer you can look up to see what um resources are available within your own community they have community-based organizations they have um precincts and because uh, every pre and what you should know is every precinct has a uh advocate from safe horizon so if you are if you're a, a victim of any form of abuse you contact um the police precinct they should be also able to connect you with the advocate in the police precinct safe horizon is the largest um domestic violence uh, organization in new york city um they're literally in every borough um so if they also have a chat option so if you can't speak to anybody you can chat with them um, in case you can't pick up the phone. With us, you can con- you can call us, you can contact our email address. I mean, our, uh, our website, we have a contact form, which you can go to. And if uh, we know that it's an emergency, we do have, our family worker does have a Google voice number that she is able to text with. So for people who cannot speak over the phone, we do have... Uh, ways that you can still contact us without it actually being um virtual i mean uh through the phone like wow
0: wow wow that's incredible thank you thank you thank you so much for sharing all of these different resources um yeah so guys when this episode comes out like uh the websites that stephanie mentioned even the numbers of the hotlines like i'll have all of that included in the show notes so that you have access to it. Um, I'll also do a little bit of research because I know I've seen it before. But there are also like international hotlines and stuff because we have some people who listen from mm-hmm. outside the states. Um, yeah, and so just get the the information out there, share it on your social media pages because I mean, like we said, you you never know what someone's going through. Quiet, you know, quietly suffering, um, and they might come across this stuff and they might be able to utilize these resources, or you yourself may be able to utilize them. Um, especially for the youth, you know? So I think that's super, super, super important. And uh, man, so guys, that is today's show. And, you know, as we're ending, I just want to say thank you so much to Stephanie again. She has given me like three hours of her day. (laughs) We are recording this in December, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, that might not be when the show gets out, but this is when we're recording it. So it felt like really sort of like serendipitous that we were having this conversation at this time. Um, yeah. And just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> so I have been able to speak to you. And like, like I said, it's definitely a topic that is obviously very dear to my heart. I think it doesn't be, is not spoken about um, enough and it's time for topics like this to finally be coming out of the shadows.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, also the social media for the healing center and stuff. I will also have that. And like I said, guys, like I'm going to donate personally. Um, I think if you're able and obviously everyone's circumstances are different, but if you're able to give anything um, towards their organization, I think it would be super helpful because, you know, they're actually using these resources within the community. Um, other, you know, unlike like other bigger organizations. And I, I don't know, you know, any in particular, but I'm just saying it's harder to get it to the people. So <laughs> show <Yes>. your support <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wherever, however, whenever you can. Yeah. And just thank you guys again for listening to the Brownstone with Jarrah Monique. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the show. Um, yeah. And stay tuned for next week's episode. Love y'all. Stay blessed. Bye.